Seeing is believing. We hear it all the time. But is that even true? Have you ever seen something that you really don't know if it should be believed or not? I want to put that to the test here today as we get started. And and you can help me out with that. I want to show you a series of pictures. And I want you to just call out if you think that they're real or if they're fake, all right? In whatever venue you're listening in on, even if you're just uh, sitting at home watching this, go ahead and, uh, and sing that out, real or fake, all right? Let's give this a try. Here's the first one. Think that's real or fake? All right, we're not sure. What is it? It's real, all right? It's a real photo. Here's, a, here's another one. Is this real or is this fake? Don't be afraid. Fake? Okay, let's take a look. No, that one's real. That one's real. I think uh, you're a little bit tentative. I think we need one that's a little bit easier. All right? Let's try this one. All right, real or fake? (laughs) We're still not sure. Let's see. All right, that one's fake. Next one. Those are rats. Let's hope it's fake. What is it? It's, you know, that's real. And it's real creepy (laughs) is what it is. All right, here's another one. Fake? Let's see. Yeah, fake. All right. It'd be cool, though, if that was really happening. I'd love that. All right. Here's another. Fake? What you, let's see. No, nope, that one's real. That one's real. Okay. You're, you're kind of catching on. Sort of. Not. All right. Here's another. Elephant. Little thirsty. All right. Let's see. That one's real. All right. Maybe just one more. Just one more. Real? Yeah, real, you think? Yeah, you say real, but you laughed first, so I know what you're thinking. All right, well, I think that that's plenty of evidence that sometimes the things that we see should not be believed. And this is something we really need to be thinking about as we jump into the passage that we're going to be looking at today because it it comes into play. This idea of, is seeing really believing, or is there maybe something more to it that we need to get down to the bottom of and really understand. Today we are continuing on in the sermon series that we just began last week. It's called Miracles. We kicked it off last week on Easter weekend. We took a look at the miracle of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We had such an awesome weekend here. I hope that you were with us. If you weren't, you missed a a fantastic weekend here at Pathway celebrating what it is that Jesus did for us on the cross and then celebrating the fact that Jesus is alive. We had a great time together. We saw people come to faith. We saw 30 people be baptized, most of them just spontaneously. God just sort of prompted in their hearts and moved them, and they went through the waters of baptism. We just had a fantastic time. We got kicked off with this miracle series last week, and and we're continuing on with that today. There are a little more than three dozen specific miracles that are called out in the pages of the Gospels, and we're not going to have the opportunity to look at all of those, but over the next six weeks or so, we're going to look at several, and we're going to see a number of themes that emerge out of uh, many of the different miracles as we make our way along. We're going to be able to give a full treatment to this idea of 
miracles. If you know your Bible, um, some of these will be very, very familiar to you. Some of them will be a little bit lesser known, but we're going to take a look at them together and what we can learn. In fact, here are just some of the ones that we are going to be taking a look at. Jesus casting the demons into the pigs. That's a very interesting story. That's next week. Jesus raising Jairus' daughter, paralytic brought to Jesus, the feeding of the 5,000. There are actually two miraculous catch of fish stories in, in the Gospels, and we're going to look at the second of those. There's a lot of things coming. Today we are going to take a look at a circumstance where a man comes to Jesus whose son is dying. And we're going to see what happens. We find that in John chapter 4. That's the passage that we're going to be in today. If you haven't already, please go ahead and open up a Bible to that spot. We're not going to be putting all the verses up on the screen, so it'll help you to have it in your lap today. In whatever venue you are in, there is a Bible provided for you in the room. And you can grab one of those if you didn't happen to bring one of your own. By the way, welcome to all of those of you who are in other venues, maybe in the response venue on the Moon Campus, at home, wherever you're listening in Today, there's much here. There's also an outline there in your bulletin. Now, what I want you to imagine for just a moment as we get started, I want you to imagine that you are the one whose son is dying. For some of you, this is hardly something you have to imagine because you've experienced this sort of scenario, and maybe not a son, maybe a daughter, or maybe a spouse, maybe a loved one of some other relationship. Maybe you yourself has been told that there is a circumstance going on in your life that is life-threatening. And then you hear that Jesus is just 20 miles away. What are you going to do? That's essentially the scenario that we are presented with as we open up to this particular passage in John chapter 4. Let me show it to you. At least how it begins in verse 46 of John 4. It says, Once more he visited Cana in Galilee. It's talking about Jesus. Where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a, uh, there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. There's a key truth that pops out in these opening verses that I want to draw out for us today because the exact same thing is at play today as was at play 2,000 years ago. And that first key truth is this, that crises prompt action. It was true then, it is true now. Crises prompt action. Leading up to this passage that we're looking at today, Jesus was on a little tour of the region, and I just want to give you a little sense of what this was. Up here in the north in Galilee, you see this city Cana. This is where Jesus is. This is where he performed his first miracle there at the wedding feast. He starts to get really well known. At this point, he makes his way then quickly to Capernaum and then on down to Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, he was there for the Passover celebration, spent some time there. This is where, if you know your Bible, Jesus overturns the money changers' um, tables there in the temple. That happened on this particular trip to Jerusalem. And there are also a number of miracles that Jesus performs. We're not told the details and the specifics of that, but we're told that it happens. And in verse 23 of chapter 2 in John's Gospel, we read these words here, if we can pop those up on the screen. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. 
So there are a lot of things that are going on there. We're not told the specifics about what they are, but these things are going to play a role in the passage as it continues to unfold before us here today. Then he traveled back, if we can get our map back, he goes from Jerusalem and he makes his way back up toward Cana. On the way he goes through Samaria, which is unusual for a Jew because Jews and Samaritans did not get along. So normally if somebody was going to make that trip, they'd go to the other side of the Jordan River and make their way up just so they could avoid Samaria altogether. Jesus doesn't do that. He goes right through the heart of it. This is where he has his encounter with the woman at the well which you might also be familiar with. He makes his way then on finally up to Cana, where, which is where he began this whole journey, which is where he did that first miracle. And that's where the setting of this particular story takes place. And when he got there that second time, his reputation has already begun to spread because verse 45 tells us that there were people there in Cana who had also been in Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. And so they had seen Jesus do some of these miracles and they saw some of what his capabilities were and so those were now in play as this story continues on. Now enter this man, this royal official we're told about in verse 46. He's almost certainly a member of Herod's court and as such he would have had power, he would have had prestige, he would have had position, he would have had money. The one thing that he doesn't have is the ability to do anything for his son who is sick, who is ailing. And so he hears that Jesus is not all that far away and the word is spreading that Jesus does these unusual things. And so this man makes the 20 mile journey from Capernaum where he lives and where his son is to Cana where Jesus is and he begs Jesus to do something for his son. Now this is very interesting because as a high ranking official we find him coming and begging a lowly carpenter to come and do something for him. This would have caught everybody's attention. This is definitely out of the ordinary. There's no doubt about that. There's a bit of a role reversal going on. It would have shocked anyone who saw the sight. But remember, crises prompt action. They always have and they always will. When you're in trouble, there's little that you won't do to find some sort of remedy. When our daughter Melissa was not even a year old, Carolyn was holding her in the bleachers at a softball game that I was going to be playing in, and my team was warming up near those bleachers because we couldn't get on the field because there was a game going on. And an errant throw from one of the guys on my team struck Melissa right in the side of the head. And Carolyn to this day will tell you that she can see the face of the one who throws it, knows who exactly who it is, knows his name. A former friend of ours, this guy. <laughs> um, but he threw this ball and it just cracked her in the side of the head. And, and you would have thought that it might have made a thud when it hit. Well, it made actually the sickening crack sound when it hit her on the head. And everybody heard it and everybody came running over expecting the worst. And immediately, Melissa's head began to swell up on that side where it had been hit. And so I said to Carolyn, just let me play a few innings and then we'll go to the ER. No, I didn't say that. Some of you thought, you idiot. No, I didn't do that. Really, it was a joke, all right? I didn't do that. Somebody said, call an ambulance. I said, we don't have time for that. And so I just scooped her up in my arms and made our way as quickly as we possibly could without shaking her, jostling her too much. But getting to the car, and we got in the car, and we, we sped to the hospital. We probably broke lots of laws. I honestly don't remember any of the trip to the hospital. 
What I do remember is pleading with God and with the doctors to do everything that they could for my little girl who was there in that scenario. I also remember praying with Carolyn and asking God that he would provide for our girl in an unusual way. And I remember putting her in God's hands in those moments when there was so little that we were going to be able to do ourselves. See, there are going to be those kinds of circumstances that come up in our lives, and they happen in all sorts of different ways, and you could probably tell your own story. We typically see them as interruptions, and we never want them in our lives, but crises, you need to understand, are actually gateways that open to opportunities. They're gateways that open to opportunity. We might not welcome them. Actually, I think we'd probably be a little bit off kilter if we did welcome those things in our lives. But once they are there, they have the properties to propel us forward if we allow them. For this official, he could have sat at home and wallowed in self-pity. He could have just sat dejectedly on his sofa. He could have blamed God for allowing his boy to be sick like he was, but he doesn't do any of those things. Instead, it causes him to run to Jesus for a solution, which is when you are in a circumstance that is difficult where the problem or the crisis comes, running to Jesus for a solution is always a great plan. Even if the outcome in the circumstance isn't exactly what you might choose, maybe not what you had hoped for, maybe not even what you prayed for, there is an opportunity to grow close and for belief and faith to rise up in you in a great way that wouldn't have been present apart from the crises. God uses the difficult things of life to draw us to himself. What what does the scripture say? He causes all things to work together for good, right? Those aren't just the good things that he works together for good, but even the difficulties, the crises of life, he works together for good. And that's some of what we see going on here. And when this official runs to Jesus, he experiences the second truth I want to point out here in this story, and that is that Jesus will engage your need He'll engage your need. So the official pours out his heart and he pleads with Jesus for some help. And here's how Jesus responds in verse 48. Look at it. It says, unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. I don't know that how, how that sounds to you, but it sounds to me like Jesus is a little bit cranky, doesn't it? Like hasn't had his morning coffee yet or something going on here. It's like he throws cold water on the emotional outpouring that comes from this father who is so desperate. But here's the thing we need to understand. First of all, Jesus isn't even talking to this guy specifically. The word you here in this verse is plural. This is the y'all, the yuns, the use guys, however you say that. That's what he is saying. He's talking to the people in general and what it is that he has been experiencing, which is kind of the second thing as well. And that is that Jesus has been realizing and recognizing that some of the people who are following him, in fact, many of the people who are following him are doing so that, so they might be able to see the spectacle of all of what it is that is going on. It's like, Jesus, do another one. That's really cool how you do that. Restore somebody else's hand. Bring somebody else back to life. Do another one for us. Like Jesus and his miracles are just some sort of a religious sideshow. Is what's going on in the minds and the hearts of many of these people. 
On a recent trip, Carolyn and I had the opportunity to see actually several different street performers. And they've all, if you've seen that, they've all got these really unusual talents or skills or abilities that they bring out. And it's pretty hard to just pass by the crowd that's watching them and not stop and watch it a little bit yourself. On this recent trip, we saw one guy, he could stand there and bend backwards and grab his ankles I mean, just think of that. It looked really freaky. Then he would start rolling down the sidewalk like a wheel. I can barely grab my ankles if I bend forward. I mean, this guy was really pretty amazing. And it was was next to impossible to not just stop and watch him and watch what he was doing. And that's what Jesus is saying. A lot of you people are doing. Unless you see a sign, you don't care. You don't believe. That's what you want me. You just want me to do a show. You just want me to do something else. And Jesus... He's not rebuking as much as he's lamenting the fact that there are people who are only interested in the sign and interested in the wonder when that's not even the point. Last week as we kicked off this series, we gave a little bit of a definition of of what a miracle really is and it, it comes to play here again. So let me show this to you one more time. A miracle defined would be a supernatural event where an exception to the ordinary course of nature takes place for the purpose of accomplishing the purposes of God. It's that last part there. A miracle is to accomplish God's purposes. So what we need to understand, and God's purposes are bigger and grander than just impressing people with his miracle skills. It's bigger and grander than that the purpose is so that the people would believe and so that people would walk in faith. It is a means to an end. We treat it differently. We treat it as the end. We want God to come and act and move and do something in our life because of the benefit that it's going to be to me. That's why I want the miracle. And when Jesus does those sorts of miracles, oftentimes that's exactly what happens is that there is a tremendous benefit for the person in question. I don't want to discount that at all, but that ultimately is not the purpose of that miracle. It is a benefit. It is a side benefit, but it's not the main thing. It's not the main thing. I get that we would have that sort of an orientation, and again, miracles might do those sorts of things, but the purpose in any miracle is to point to the healer, not to point to the healed. We need to keep that in mind. It's always about God's glory. It's always about understanding more about who he is and about what his power is all about and what it is that he can do. You get a little taste of this whole idea as the account goes on. Verse 49 says, The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Belief is not his focus. He just wants the miracle. And then, interestingly enough, Jesus does respond. He says, Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. That's interesting because that's the miracle, but look at how little fanfare there is. It's just sort of matter of fact, okay, your son will live. You getting the idea that while the miracle might be in the center of this story, it's not the centerpiece of this story? If Jesus wanted to make the miracle the centerpiece, if that's what it was really all about, what he would have said is, hey guys, we're going to Capernaum. We're going to go see this guy's son. If you want to come, please do. And there'd be a huge following that would have come after Jesus. And they'd have gotten there and he would have told them to, to get the boy out of the house. And they'd have brought him out on a stretcher. And they'd have laid him out before everybody so everybody could see. And they'd confirm that this kid is just about to die. And then Jesus would go, abracadabra, poof. 
And he'd get up and he'd start walking around and then he'd start dancing. That's not what happens. What happens is that Jesus heals a boy in a private bedroom 20 miles away. Because it wasn't about the spectacle. It wasn't about everybody seeing. It was about leading people toward belief in what it is that he is doing. There are other miracles that Jesus performs where he's not present also, and it just gives you an extra clue about what's really happening in the grand scheme of things, that it's not really ultimately even about the miracle. Also gives you an understanding of the unlimited nature of God's power. God did not need to be present in the room with that boy in order to execute that healing that he brought. And God doesn't need to be physically present with you either to meet you in your need. Some of us are in a circumstance right now where we desperately need a touch of God, and it's like, God, if you were only closer, and God's like, I'm as close as I need to be to do the work that I need and want and desire to do in your life and in your heart. And you can rest in that, and you can trust in that. My friend, we can have every hope that we need. You are right where you need to be, close enough to find Jesus to speak into your need in this moment, in this circumstance, to meet you where you are. Reach to him and ask him to reveal himself, and he will. There's no doubt about that. I can't promise you a miracle, but even if there isn't, there is the purpose of God that can still be accomplished in your heart and life. It's where the text takes us next. The last of the key truths I want to show you here is the belief comes by faith, not sight. I love the response of the official. Jesus just told him, your son will live. And then the second half of verse 50, we read this. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. He believed and departed. This is so awesome. Jesus just spoke. It's like the guy says, I believe. I believe that you're doing what it is that you said you would do. Um, I might be different. I might be like, Jesus, thank you so much for what you've just done. Now, would you please come with me? Let's go see our boy. Just in case it didn't take, then you can help me out while we're there. That is not this guy at all. He doesn't need to see the outcome to know that it's real. Belief comes by faith, not sight. That's the bottom line I want to be sure that we see and understand here today. Contrary to what might seem intuitive on our part, the bottom line is that seeing is not believing. Believing is believing. Seeing is not required for belief. Belief is required for belief. Now, do you think this official understood everything that was happening? <laughs> no way. There's not a chance that he understand it all. But he did muster what belief he had and he moved forward with that. He didn't wait until all of his questions had been answered, like we sometimes do. He didn't wait for there to be some independent confirmation that something had happened before he finally comes to the place to say, okay, I will believe. In his simple faith, he saw his son well, even though his son was 20 miles away. He didn't have to see to believe with the writer of the Hebrews, when he talks about the faith of so many people in the scriptures, he uses similar sorts of terminologies. You may be very familiar with the verse. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse one says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for, 
and assurance about what we do not see. That's what this is talking about. And that same sort of faith is the faith that God desires to see executed and operating in our own hearts. The official didn't understand it all, but he took what he did know about Jesus and he moved forward. You're not always going to understand it all either, but instead of allowing that to paralyze you, allow yourself to take what it is that you do have, what belief you do have on whatever level that might be, and allow that to move you forward toward an understanding of who God is and a recognition of the fact that you can believe and exercise your faith in him as well. Remember, seeing is not believing. Believing is believing. And if you wait to see, if you insist on waiting until you see, you'll miss the believing so often that's exactly what happens the scriptures make it clear that even if you do get to the place where you see that that's no guarantee that you're going to translate that into belief anyway lots of examples and in fact we're going to see them as we make our way through this series where there are people who see a miracle and it's indisputable what has just happened. But even though they see it, they still don't believe. People saw Jesus alive and walking around after the resurrection when they saw him placed in the grave as a dead man and they still don't believe. There's no guarantee that seeing is even going to lead ultimately to belief because seeing is not believing. Believing is believing. There's always going to be a faith element involved and to eliminate that is to make the basis of faith a requirement to see. And you can do that if you want, but what you're going to do is say that the limits of God's capability are your experiences. The limit of what God is able to do in our world is what you can account for yourself, what you have seen, what you have experienced. And you don't want that God. You don't want to serve a God who is limited by you. You want a God who can do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine but if we insist that it only comes through sight that the miracle has to come first in order for me to believe then we're never going to get there now that's not to say that the ability to see God at work and the miraculous doesn't play a part it certainly does God will use the miraculous to pique our attention he'll do that but faith is a separate step and because the miraculous does not necessarily ignite faith, you shouldn't be looking to the miraculous to find your way to God. Because if it's got to be through what you see, there's no guarantee you will ever get there. Ever. And many people are stuck right there. God, if you'll give me a sign, if you'll do this miracle, if you'll come, for, if you'll come through for me in this situation, in this way, then I will believe. And how many of those people do you know who are stuck there just waiting? Just putting out the test for God. And if they don't see it the way they want it, then forget it. Miracle can point you in the right direction, but it can only take you so far. For the official in our story, the miracle pointed him in the right direction, but his faith emerges before he saw anything. So important that we would recognize that. In fact, I want to show you just how deep his faith ran. Verse 50. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. He believes and he goes. While he was still on his way, his servants met him with the news that the boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. There's the confirmation. He didn't need it, 
but it's here for us so that we know that what Jesus said was going to happen and the miracle that he performed actually happened as he said. But there's something else here that I think is very interesting that comes in verse 52. And you might have read this story a hundred times if you know your Bible, and you may have missed it every single time. And I want to show you to it, it to you because I think that it's interesting. In verse 52, what it tells us is that the servant tell him, the official, that the fever left the boy yesterday. Yesterday. That means that the official didn't go home right after Jesus worked the miracle. Some people say, well, Jesus must not have loved his boy all that much. And that's not the case, because we've already seen that he's come and he's sought out Jesus. He's begged with him. He's humbled himself before the crowd, before Jesus, because of the depth of his love. But he doesn't feel the need to be back home immediately to see what has happened because he already in his heart knows exactly what has happened. Could be that he had some other business he had to do on behalf of his son before he went back home. We don't know all of the details of that. But what we do know is he didn't feel the need to go because he already knew the outcome, that Jesus could be taken at his word. Verse 53, then the father realized that this was the exact time in which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. Here again, The pinnacle of the story is belief. You don't see when the whole story gets sums up, when the exclamation point is put on the story, it doesn't say, and so the son lived. It says, and so they believed. That's the point. The ER doctor told us that a blow to the head such as Melissa had received is is severe trauma, especially in one who is not even a year old. He said that we might expect that there could be some internal bleeding and that there could be some hemorrhaging and the swelling of the skull and and those sorts of of the brain that resulted in the skull and, and that we needed to keep a very close watch on her. And that we needed to stay up all night and watch her and see what happened. And that we needed to wake her up at least every hour and make sure that she became lucid and came, became fully awake. And that we needed to be measuring her skull because we should note how large it was getting. And if it got to a certain point, we needed to respond very quickly and immediately. Well, staying up all night does at least one thing. It gives you lots of opportunity to pray. And we did, and we prayed to God, and we asked that he would do something special for our little girl. And he did. We woke her up every hour like we were supposed to, and and she always came fully alert and lucid, much more alert than her parents were staying up all night. We measured her skull, and it never swelled. In fact, the swelling that there had been on the side of her head where the trauma had, or the ball had hit, it reduced. It went down. We called the doctor and shared what was going on, and he was very pleased and very surprised. And I've wondered at points along the way whether or not that was a miracle that God did on behalf of 
little Melissa. And honestly, I don't know for sure. It has lots of signs of the sort of way that God works in miraculous ways, and it could very well have been so. But ultimately, I don't know. What I do know is that God met us in our fear. He met us in our worry and in our concern, and he brought us a peace before we had any knowledge of what the outcome of this situation was going to be. It was before we saw that God made himself real to us. You're going to face circumstances of your own where there are crises that come into your life. You may be walking through that right in this moment, and if it's now that not this moment, it's going to be one that comes soon. You may be feeling the, the dark clouds sort of swarming over your life, and you might be tempted to wallow in your pity, blame God for the circumstances that you're going through, but what you need to understand is that you're actually right on the verge of experiencing God showing up for you. Now, it may be through a miracle, it may, it may not be through something that you would definitively call a miracle. But whether it is or whether it isn't, ultimately isn't the bottom line thing that we need to understand. Because the miracle itself, should it come or should it not, it is a circumstance through which we have the opportunity to grow closer to God. For our belief to grow. For our faith to swell. We don't need to go through the miracle to get to the outcome. Now, oftentimes, God does use that miracle, and that's fantastic. And by all means, go ahead and pray that God would meet you in that need. But if you don't feel that he did in a miraculous sort of way, it doesn't mean he hasn't been working. It doesn't mean that he isn't present. It doesn't mean that your belief or your faith should shrink even one little bit. Because he can get you to the end game without going through the middle. And that's where he ultimately wants and needs you to be. Because belief and faith is the ultimate. Seeing is not believing. Believing is believing. And God wants to take you to that place where your faith can soar. And what we need to understand is we don't need to see it to believe it. We don't need to experience that which cannot possibly be explained in any other way to know that God is real and that God is present and that God will engage your need. So lean into him. Ask him to reveal himself to you. Take what it is, like the official does, take what it is you do know, however little, however fleeting, however small that might feel in you right now. And go to God with it, and he will meet you there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this man. Thank you for his faith. Thank you for his belief. Thank you for what he shows us, that even apart from seeing, we can believe. We can understand. And that's not a lesser belief. That's not a lesser faith because we maybe didn't get our miracle. 
You were walking through the middle of it with us in just the same way, which is a miracle all in and of itself. Father, we do thank you that you are one who cares for us, who walks with us, who provides for us. And we rest in that today. Lord, I pray for my friends who are here, who are listening today, wherever they are. I pray for the needs that exist. I pray for the circumstances where we desire so much that you would work in miraculous and unexplainable ways. And we pray toward that end because we know that you're the sort of God who does those sorts of things. But we thank you even more so that you have a desire for us that we would be walking closely with you. And the fact that the miracle may or may not even take us to that end should it happen should help us hold on to the fact that you're drawing us close either way. But thank you that you love us. Thank you that you work in our hearts and our minds and our lives. Thank you for those who have come to faith in Christ that you've worked that miracle in our own hearts. And we lean into you today. We rest in you. Our eyes are open for how it is that you're working, but our hearts are also to find ourselves where you desire us to be. We pray that you would take us there and that our belief and our faith would soar because we know that seeing is not believing. Believing is believing. We thank you for that. Make us those people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.